Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Pia Berengini, a creative director of LPA, an entrepreneur, a wife, and a dog mom based in Los Angeles. This is my new podcast, Everything is the Best, where we basically ask interesting people, how did you go from zero to yacht? I'm always curious how the hell people became successful, and I figured you would be too. Get on the internet with me. Let's laugh, let's cry, let's overshare, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. It's all for you, baby. Thanks for listening. Love you, mean it. Hey everyone, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rule book and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real talk advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman. From hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more, whether you are pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Are you ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Work Party, which celebrates a new generation of women and femmes who are redefining work on their own terms. Today, I'm talking with entrepreneur and disability rights activist Tiffany Yu, the founder of Diversability, an award-winning social enterprise aimed at challenging perceptions of disability through community building, visibility, and engaged allyship. So welcome, Tiffany, to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I think first and foremost, can can you tell us a little bit about what Diversability is? Yeah, so Diversability is a social enterprise to elevate disability pride, build disability power, and advance disability leadership. So what does that actually mean? To me, it just starts with community. And I actually, I had to, I had to do a pitch recently and they're like, well, what you're doing is great, but like, how, how is this not just a nice to have and a must have? And, you know, as I did research as we look at, at our overall well-being, it's the intersection of your mental health, your physical health, and your social health. Mm. And I don't think a lot of people realize that social connection and healthy relationships are a core part of our well-being, right? And there's even a Harvard study out there that says that one of the best ways to our longevity and our happiness is rooted in social connection. And so disabled people, we are some of the loneliest, socially isolated, and excluded people out there. And it's as a function of knowing that you're not alone, actually meeting other disabled Mm. people, that you're like, hey, I actually have a voice. 
hey, I actually want to raise my hand for that next opportunity. And that's actually where I think empowerment begins. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think that makes so much sense. I think just as human beings, and especially as the world goes more and more online, that one-to-one connection, like you're saying, that community feeling, I think is even more important than it's ever been before. But you weren't always doing this. Before this, you were working on Wall Street. You worked for P. Diddy. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and sort of how you ended up here? Yeah, where do I even start? So I'll I'll provide a little bit of context. So about 25 years ago, I was involved in a car accident. A couple of my siblings and my dad were dropping my mom off at the airport. And on the way home, he lost control of the car. So I acquired a slew of injuries, including breaking a couple of bones in one of my legs. I permanently paralyzed one of my arms, known as a brachial plexus injury. My dad also passed away. Mm. And I wanted to share all of that because as the daughter of Asian immigrants, it was instilled in me that we shouldn't share anything that would make us lose face, which effectively means don't share anything that might make our family look bad. So what that meant was don't talk about the car accident. I told everyone my dad was away on a trip. Mm-hmm. And now that I had a visible disability, I just wore long sleeves all the time. So I know that doesn't relate to P. Diddy yet. but <laughs> We'll but get it, there. But I mean, that's really powerful. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that you know, sharing these stories is so important. So continue. Yeah. And and so I actually I didn't share for 12 years. Wow. And I I wanted to share that because instead of shedding light on these things that I that I thought might make me look bad, I then started to hyper focus on the things I could achieve. And that came in going to a top university. I went to Georgetown. And then getting that internship, I worked at Goldman Sachs. And then, you know, for me, it was kind of climbing that ladder. And I actually think a lot of it, you know, we're recording this during Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. I think a lot of it was what I thought my mom Mm -hmm. would have been proud of me to do. Mm -hmm. And then when I learned none of it was ever going to be enough because now one of her kids was disabled and that was so shameful, Mm -hmm. I... I then stopped the Goldman and the P. Diddy thing and, and I and I turned inward and I said, well, what do I actually want and what do I think is going to make the biggest impact? And when I look in the mirror, I just want to like what I see. And that's how I actually redefine success. But but yeah, I studied finance and accounting in college. And that's actually what led to all of those those different you know, quote unquote, impressive job opportunities. It's so much to unpack there. I think it's so, you know, brave in in many ways to talk about that, because I think so many of us, especially living in, in like an Instagram world are, you know, trying to paint the perfect picture, right? Trying to make somebody happy, somebody proud, get those accolades, get that award, but are deeply unhappy, right? As we're sort of building and doing that. So talk about the moment you realized that you weren't living your purpose, you weren't feeling aligned with what you were doing and making that change into launching your own company? Yeah, I mean, I think that there were two turning points. So interestingly enough, actually doing that internship in investment banking is what empowered me to start Diversability. Mm. And so I was a senior in college and actually two things. Not only there was the summer internship. And then from my freshman to my junior year, I had co-founded a Taiwanese American club with some of my classmates. So effectively, I didn't think like, hey, I'm going to do something that feels more purposeful. I said, I started a club for Taiwanese students and I want to start another club for disabled students. Mm. And it actually wasn't until and I and I share this moment so vividly. So during my summer internship, you could go in and get feedback from the recruiters as to how you were doing. 
I was having a tough internship. And the recruiter who recruited me to my internship was the one who was giving me the feedback. And as I walked out, she said, Tiffany, I want you to know that you deserved your place here. You don't need to have a chip on your shoulder. Hmm. And in a way, it was kind of like the pivotal call out moment or call in moment. I don't know which one it which one it was. But for someone to see that I wasn't operating at my potential and I was I w- I'm wondering if it was just manifesting the way I presented my body in, you know, just so many of these different behaviors that she felt she felt the urge to say something. It actually made me start to think, what other areas of my of my life do I feel like I'm operating below my t- potential? And who taught me that? Yeah. Who told me that I, you know, blending in with the wallpaper was how I was going to be successful. So that was in 2009. And that's when Diversibility started as this club. And it kind of just started as a club and was left as, as a club for a couple of years until 2015. I was working for this P. Diddy company and black owned majority black colleagues, also half women. And here was even though it was a startup, it was about, I don't know, like 100 people, including mm-hmm. contractors. But they were doing diversity right, you know, and they actually were the original supporters of me starting a side hustle, which was also called Diversibility. So left Diversibility at Georgetown. And then in 2015 timeframe, I looked at the company I was working at and it was the world that they they were creating a company that they wanted the world to look like. Mm. Right. And then I said, well, what do I want the world to look like, too? And, and how can and my colleagues actually inspired me to to start this as as a side project. And it wasn't until 2017 when I got fired from a different startup job that I then took a look at everything I had achieved on paper. And I said, I think I want to explore this disability advocacy stuff full time. And, you know, I was on unemployment benefits. And and I think I want to because I think there's a lot of shame around getting fired. Mm. Like and I felt that, too. Right. I felt like I had failed. Right. And but instead, I think I use that as an opportunity to take pause, take those unemployment benefits and explore if building a disability community or becoming a disability advocate and finding my voice that way would help also sustain me economically. Yeah, I too also was fired. <laughs> and I that's how I started my first company was because I always say like rejections redirection in, mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways. So really taking the opportunity. So I think that's a great anecdote to share. So now you're on, you know, unemployment, you're looking at this club you started a while ago and revisiting it. How do you put a new lens on it to say, this is something now I want to pursue full time. I want this to be big. I want this to be real. Yeah, you know, I I will say in full in full hashtag real talk, I think we could be bigger than where we are right now. You know, I think that everything that we've done has been beyond my wildest dreams. I told myself if 30 people joined, I would I would be so excited. And to get that first person to join mm. was so hard, right? And now our ecosystem is 80,000 people who have opted in. They yeah. say, I like this and I want to be a part of it. But you know, it it felt really, I don't know if confusing is the right word. So I still remember the day I got fired. It was March 3rd, 2017. And in April, I got invited to speak at this conference called America's Promise. Hmm. And some of the speakers included like former presidents, I think Clinton and 
one of the bushes. <laughs> and I was just like, last month I got fired and this month yeah. I'm on a stage sharing my story. And that story became the precursor to, I think, my first TED Talk. But but I think the the reception to that and then, you know, within a year of that, I got invited to Davos, like this World Economic Forum annual meeting where all these, you know, President Trump was there, like war presidents of countries and companies. <laughs> and I'm just like, how is this my life? And I wasn't even 30 years old then. Yeah. And actually, I heard this quote and I feel like people meant it as like a diss. But to me, it like I feel like I am just open to receiving inbounds. So so I feel like my whole life up to now has been just being open to opportunity. Yeah. Right. And and honestly, I told myself I'm going to explore this diversity thing, but I'm only going to do it until I find my next thing. Mm. So no I, expectations. Yeah. I don't think I had anticipated like, hey, hey, now we got some funding. Like we're going to go out. This and is your this. next thing. Yeah. 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 And, you know, that was 2017. So now it's been six years wow. since that. Amazing. That, that's so empowering. And I love that. So let's talk about this TED Talk, right? So doing a TED Talk, big deal. Where did you get the courage? Were you nervous? Like, as you were writing it, like, I'm so I have so much respect for people who can do that. Like, I can interview people all day long, getting up and doing a keynote is like very stressful to me. So talk to talk to me a little bit about like going into this and the execution of it. Yeah. So in 2013, I'm like a big, I have a big I have a big thing for dates. So in 2013, I remember grabbing coffee with someone and I was finishing up my time at Goldman and trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I said to her, one day I want to give a TED Talk. I don't know what it's going to be about yet. So keep in mind, I said my first TED Talk was in 2018. And I'm also saying my first TED Talk because I've actually done four TED related talks now. Amazing. And <laughs> and I don't mean that to brag or maybe I should brag. Yeah, I should take girl, space. brag. <laughs> so I will say that up until the point of giving the talk, you are changing and you, I mean me, but like whoever is doing it, you're just changing tweaking. things, tweaking, 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 and it's never perfect. And even after you do it, it's not perfect. Mm. And I remember when the talk came out, I didn't want to share it with anyone because I didn't think it was good. No. But can I tell you something yeah. that happened? So not only, you know, last summer... I went to I went to a camp for people who have my injury and the people who support us. So there were like doctors there, parents, surgeons, and this pediatric hand surgeon comes up to me and he goes, hey, Tiffany, I watched your TED talk. And in my mind, I was like, oh, crap. Mm. But then he was like, because of you, in addition to our physical therapist and our surgeon team and the occupational therapist, we've also added mental health support because a big part of my talk, it was called the power of exclusion. It was about how that loneliness that I talked to you about became mm -hmm. the fuel for my fire. And I'm just like, whoa, that's cool. Like it wasn't just a talk that made someone feel something. They actually took action to say, hey, there's a real mental health aspect to this whole process. If it's the surgery, the rehabilitation process, trauma, like we need that as well. And yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. I'm sure there's a ton more people like that, too, that you just haven't met yet. That's that, true. Whose that lives you've totally changed. So I think that's amazing. I think also embracing the imperfection, watch, watching it back, I'm sure it's amazing. But I think it's OK to be like, yeah, that wasn't perfect. And that's OK. Yeah. Right. Like and, That's the point. And can I share one other thing, too, is that I applied. And I think a lot of people, I guess that was one thing I, I did not, that was not an inbound. Mm. And I want to share that because I think people, people think we just get things like we get invited to the thing. But 
I applied. And even before I got that 2018 talk, I think I had I, I had applied to a couple of others as well. Mm. Right. So 2013, I planted the seed. And then I said, if I'm going to plant that seed, I need to take action as well. And so. So, yeah, like I you got to apply. You got to put yourself, put yourself out, there. out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great advice. It's it's so true. I think, you know, we see all these things online that you're like, God, they get to go do that and they get to do that. But like you have to also put yourself up for it. You also have to put yourself out. A lot of times it takes like a lot of rejection to get to that place of finally getting accepted. So let's talk a little bit about inclusion and empowerment. You know, you've said that these are both passions of yours. So how are you using those passions to inform the work that you're doing? Yeah, I will start. I'll start with empowerment. So part of why I think or yeah, I don't I don't even know where to start. These are such a big they're very big words. Yeah. And to me, I actually add disability in front of both of them. Mm. So disability inclusion is very important to me and disability empowerment is very mm-hmm. important to me. So I'll start with disability empowerment. And I actually posed this within my community a couple of years ago. And I said, hey, what do you think? You know, we have women's empowerment. What does disability empowerment mean to you? And people were like, I don't know what that phrase means. Mm. I don't really know what that means. And to me, it says I want disability possibility leaders, possibility models or role models. So Laverne Cox coined this term possibility model. So we don't just have to follow someone's role, right, as a role model. We follow the possibility of who they are and say, that is what I could become, Mm. but I can have my own journey to get there. So I think that's what disability empowerment means to me. It means how can we have as many role models or possibility models out there who are disabled, who are paving the way to let us know that we can become those things. I will say, even when I worked at Goldman, the number of calls that I had with disabled college students who never thought that a career in financial services was something that was possible for them. This was 2009, right? It's like not that long ago, but like still long enough ago yeah, that a lot has changed since not, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then even more recently, you know, I got in touch with a nonprofit who is focused on helping more girls and women build their careers in investment management. I went back to my community and I said, hey, doing some polling, went back to my disability community. I said, how many of you are interested in a career in investment management? And I, there were a bunch of different poll options. And the number of people who selected what is investment management, right? There are so many different jobs out there that I think when people look at our community, they like put us into a box of like, you can only be, I was going to say a podcast. <laughs> you can only have a podcast or be a writer or like, yeah. you know, some, but like, you can be a banker. You can anything. You can work for P. Diddy. Yeah. yeah, you too can work for P. Diddy. <laughs> and so and then so that's that part. And then on the disability inclusion side, I think I just think back to those 12 years of what I will call suffering in silence and what it felt like to not be invited, what it felt like to not see myself represented, what it felt like to feel like, again, that my only pathway to success was either through a, a assimilation or invisibility Mm. like I feel so sad for that person right so disability inclusion to me is hey I want this seat here or I want a seat at that table and if I can't find the table that's where the empowerment comes in we're going to build our own table and and hope that everyone has feels like they have a voice and can share their opinions at that table yeah absolutely so Taking all this information and hearing the story about Goldman, how can founders, business owners be more accessible to people with disabilities? How can they start thinking, you know, ahead of the game when it comes to that inclusion piece of it? 
Yeah. So I think that there are two there are two different aspects to this. One is disabled people as your employees. And the other is disabled people as your consumers. Right. So on the employee side, I mean, and this is these are stats from public companies, but there's a stat out there that says companies that champion champion disability inclusion are more profitable, make Mm. more revenue. So then it's like if you want to make more money. (laughs) Right. And then there's also a stat that says about 75 percent of disabled employees have an innovative idea that would add value to their company's bottom line. So that's kind of like and and the team that we built at Diversibility, we're a team of eight. You know, we've been as large as 10. It, once upon a time, we were one, you know, and so eight to me is still very large. We are 100 percent disabled. That is part of part of our core values. Everyone's paid as well. That's also part of our core values. And we just want to show that disability employment works. Yeah. And one of the things that has made me really proud as I don't know if I love being a manager, but as like someone who has been able to bring bring people into my table is that with a Goldman, with this P. Diddy company, I also worked at Bloomberg, like I can then serve as your job reference when you go out and apply to other things. Right. Absolutely. And I think about and a lot of us can't go back now. I think about the number of internships or apprenticeships that I had growing up that like as someone who can only use one arm, like a lot of people make assumptions, but I can then go in and do my job and then you see. Right. So I think there's a lot of fear around the hiring part. So I just want to say disabled talent is out there. And if any of your listeners here, you know, and a lot of our team members, they start out as social media managers or content managers. And that's like a big thing now, right? Like you want to have a presence on TikTok or I don't know. So, so if we can help, feel free to reach out to us and we can curate those opportunities through our community. Those are the ones that like come to mind first that, that we have many people in our community that we can, we can share their profiles. And then on the disability as consumers, I want to share an anecdote. As you can tell, I'm full of stories. No, I I love Um, it. I'm I'm here for it. So I went to an event that was with the chief diversity officer of Victoria's Secret. Mm -hmm. So Victoria's Secret has has I don't even know what words to say, but they're working on their diversity. It's a mixed bag. Yeah, it's (laughs) a mixed mixed bag over there. (laughs) But when I was growing up, Victoria's Secret was what was sexy. Of course. And when I didn't see bodies or skin tones that look like mine, I did not think that 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 I was sexy. Totally. So the chief diversity officer was speaking on a panel about how Victoria's Secret is coming out with an adaptive line. Oh, wow. And you say, oh, wow. But I also think everyone wears underwear. Yeah, I actually use this example a lot. Right. So everyone wears underwear. So why do we think that, you know, bras clasp in the back, which makes it difficult for people who have my type of of injury or like underwear for seated body types? And they're just like everyone, you know, and there's some people who don't wear underwear, but that's a totally different (laughs) conversation, different market. But what I so, so someone then asked her, asked the chief diversity officer, they said, you know, why? Why are you doing this adaptive line? And she goes, because there's a business case for it. There is discretionary spending. There are customers who want to buy bras that clasp in the front or, you know, underwear for seated body types. And when I heard that, I'm like, the company that I remember receiving all of their ads every summer, you know, and flipping through and just aspirationally wanting wanting to be like a Victoria's Secret girly, like now it is. Yeah. Right. So I wanted to bring that up. I know that I know that was a story, but no, I I think that's so important. Skims too just announced that they're doing something similar. So it's good. It's good to see it not just in a few places, but spreading more and more. Yeah. And and I know both of what we named are both like underwear companies. But I also think about like, what are the 
daily life things Mm -hmm. that you haven't thought about a disabled person using. Yeah. So, you know, I could even think about shoes. So the shoes I'm wearing now, they don't have laces, right? Because tying shoelaces is not something that I love to do. Yeah. (laughs) And that works for me, right? And so, and I mean, they're a little dirty now, but they're they're fashionable shoes to me, or they used to be white. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. They've lived a good life. But but it's kind of just thinking about like, we are your consumers. Like we, and, and the thing is this like, we have money, but who also has money are our friends and family, right? And so if we love your brand, we're going to go out and we're going to evangelize your brand as well. And 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 then that's going to have that trickle out effect. So so I hopefully, you know, so then that comes back to, OK, so then like, what do I do? So it becomes this whole cycle of when you hire disabled people into your company, we can help you think of like innovative ideas or things mm-hmm. you haven't thought about before that can open up your your brand or whatever you're building to new audiences, then like, you know, and if if you aren't in a position to hire a disabled person, can you bring them in for a focus group? I mean, the number of clothing brands, and I'm talking mainly around like direct to consumer companies right Mm -hmm. now, because I don't know, I don't know what type of business, business owners you you have, but, but yeah, I, I think, I think that there are so many creative ways that like I, we call this like accidental accessibility as well. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I think about I think about a friend who was in law school and he created this plugin that helped create gradient colors so he could read quicker, like mm. his law school textbook. And then he realized that what he had built helped people with dyslexia to follow the line. Yeah. Right. And so he had built this for himself to read quicker. And then all of a sudden it has some other benefits as well. There's another app out there going off on a tangent now, but it was texting, but video. Mm. And what they actually found was that people who are deaf and with a capital D, which means that they use American Sign Language, they loved using it because they could express themselves the way that they do with sign language rather than just typing everything out into a text. Oh, yeah. Very cool. So much innovation is out there. So many possibilities. I'm sure someone listening to this maybe just sparked an idea and who knows what can happen. But I think that's only comes from having those people in the room, having the right people in the room who can talk about different and new experiences that aren't just giving you the same status quo of like what has always worked. So I think that's really amazing. One question I do want to ask you is, is back to the loneliness side of things. What advice would you have to share with someone who's listening, who maybe is in that place you were in for 12 Mm, years, mm. who's feeling isolated? Yeah. So they did not pay me to say this, but (laughs) Facebook groups are amazing. Totally. And (laughs) I love that. And Yeah, I'll I'll share. So I started DiverseAbility because what I have is considered a spinal cord injury but I would show up at the spinal cord injury spaces and they were all paraplegics or mm. people who used wheelchairs. And mm-hmm. I said, ooh, like, I don't know if I fit here. And then what I have could also be considered part of the limb difference community. But then I would show up to the limb difference community and it's all amputees or people who are using prosthetics. And I still technically have my whole arm. And so then I said, I don't know where I fit, even in these yeah. disability communities that are catered toward me. I mean, this is before Facebook groups. And then I realized there actually was a brachial plexus injury community. But <laughs> crazy. But, but part of why I started DiverseAbility was because I, I couldn't find a place that I fit. So I created one. And what I found when you do create, create a cross-disability group is that we are united in a feeling of being oppressed in one way or another and having to be resilient and adapt in a world that wasn't built for us. 
So even if our disabilities are so different, we share those two common traits. So back to your, and I went on a little tangent. So back to feeling lonely, you know, social media is a great place. There can also be a dark side to it. But what I have learned over the last couple of years is that for a long time, and even still now, social media and the internet is where most disabled people find each other. Yeah. So pre-pandemic, we were actually doing a lot of in-person programming in, in some key cities in eight like key cities. And I was like, ooh, we're growing. But then I'm like, what about the person in Missouri right. or Arkansas who has no community where they are? So I would say if you are feeling really lonely and you don't have access to finding in-person community, I would start with seeking out a Facebook group. Yeah. And the search, the cert, the SEO on there is pretty impressive. So you can type in, you know, like, I don't know, like disabled women. Yeah. Or you can get really specific or like disabled people who love biking or like adaptive biking group or something, you know, and based on your own common interests. But if, you know, Facebook, because I feel like I, I'm I wouldn't call myself an elder millennial, but I am like core. millennial. <laughs> so so if if being on Facebook like doesn't cater to you, hashtags are such a great place to find other people as well. So, you know, I've definitely I've definitely <laughs> I've definitely looked up the hashtag hashtag brachial plexus injury. And I've also found other people who have my injury whose whose lives look very different than my own. Yeah. And I actually met one creator and all she was doing on her platform was testing out products that were made for people with one hand if they actually worked or not. Oh, that's cool. And because I acquired my injury so young, like I didn't know that any of those things existed. existed right. Yeah. So. So, yeah, I would check out social media, but only if it feels like it's good for your mental health, because a lot of social media right. sometimes does not feel that good not for your great. mental health. So I try to use social media with intention. So I'm only going on to look at a post or look up certain information or connect with a person. So if the internet is not where you want to find community, my hope, I don't know, is meetup still around? I think it is. <laughs> There's a bunch of them, but I, I love that so much. I mean, the Create and Cultivate Facebook group is awesome. And it's interesting because oftentimes when we have events in different cities, people will post that they're going by themselves and they'll try to get people to meet up and say like, let's meet up beforehand. So it's, it is such a great connection tool. And now I've seen groups of friends meet from, you know, going by themselves to things. So I, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's an amazing place to connect. Yeah. And I'll also share. So I just moved to LA last June. So it's so it's almost a New, year. Welcome. And <laughs> I actually I used myself as the experiment. I said, what does it look like to move to a new city in my 30s who was also coupled? But I also want to find community outside of my partner, yeah, right? And my partner's friends. So I've joined a couple of Facebook groups. One is called Ladies of Los Angeles, which is really great. It's got like 20,000 women in it. There's they, one of the women in there helped me get onto Kelly Clarkson, the Kelly Clarkson show. There you go. How cool is that? So and then she like texts me for recommendations for other people who might want to be on the show, too, which is pretty cool. And then I I did some like outreach from people I did follow on social media to ask them if they wanted to grab coffee or anything. I made public posts on my Instagram and on LinkedIn that I had moved and was open to meeting up with people. And, you know, LA's a big place. So yeah. I've also learned, and this is very LA specific, but I've also learned it's hard to get people to come to where I am 
So I always buffer in like way more commute time to go meet up with other people up until I build my community. And then that's and then, a very L.A. thing. Though. I know. And then they got, and then they got to come to me. But yeah. But yeah, I mean, and now I'm like in some and I don't know how I got invited to these like some WhatsApp groups that host dinner parties a lot of different times. So amazing. But again, it all comes down to you putting yourself out there. That's true. And, and that part can be hard, too. And that's why I think. I think creating those healthy parasocial relationships, it can literally just be like commenting, but like not in a creepy way on people's social media posts. And that's how you start to build familiarity. Right. And then after you get to a certain point of like that person that you want to meet is familiar with you, you can reach out to them to say, hey, you know, would you be interested in grabbing coffee, an in-person or a virtual one? Yeah, no, it's so important to put yourself out there, especially as we all emerge from the last few years of, you know, where we've kind of been isolated even more so than normal. I would say it's so important to get out there and, and make new friends. And welcome to LA. So Thank excited you. to have you. Can, can I give, can I share one, one other thing yeah. about the, so I have a friend, I'm going to give a plug to my friend, Kevin Adler. He started this incredible nonprofit called Miracle Messages. And what they do is they're working to solve what he calls relational poverty for our neighbors experiencing homelessness. Mm. And they have a program called Miracle Friends. And he he says something and he says, you know, I didn't really feel like I was homeless when I lost my housing. It's when I lost my friends. Yeah. And so I wanted to bring that up because what he has done through the Miracle Friends program for a lot of the of the people who are involved with his who are beneficiaries of his nonprofit, like their miracle friend might be their only point of contact. Plus, sometimes all you need is one. So I just I just wanted to put out it's not it's quality over quantity. Please go and find that one person. And hopefully and if you if you do identify as disabled, even if you're an ally, like you can join the diversity community. We've got a lot of activity going on in there, too. Amazing. Thank you so much. Can you share with everyone where they can follow you, learn more about diversity, maybe watch your TED talk? Yeah. So you can follow me, Tiffany Yu, at I'm Tiffany Yu. That's the letter I, the letter M, followed by my first and last name. And you can follow Diversability at Diversability across social channels. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks. For more inspiring conversations like this one, follow the Work Party podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party. <laughs>